Today we turn in God's Word to Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 through 23, picking up in this sermon series that we have titled, Looking at the Savior, who is Jesus. We welcome those visiting with us. We are continuing to go through the book. That means we preach kind of consecutively, verse by verse, and this is where we are today. Hear now the Word of God. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the lake. And great crowds gathered around him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes have been closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, And understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, The evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. So far, the reading of God's holy word. May he bless it to us today by his Holy Spirit. It was November 26, 2017, 
a man named R.C. Sproul preached his final sermon from Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. The first verse of that chapter says, Therefore we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. As he finished the sermon, his last sentence was this, I pray with all my heart that God will awaken each one of us here today to the sweetness, the loveliness, the glory of the gospel declared by Jesus Christ. That sentence reveals his heart, as Stephen Nichols writes. Sweetness. Kids, if you hear about your brother or sister tasting honey, that doesn't taste good to you does it until you taste it. So it is with truth, the sweetness of apprehending, trusting in Christ and the truth of the gospel. Loveliness. This is the category of beauty. Do you know that our God is a God of beauty? Glory. God is transcendent. He is holy. He is eternal. He is unchanging. He is full of splendor and majesty. Sweetness, loveliness, glory. Loved ones, this captures who God is. It captures the essence of the gospel. These words have transformative power by the Holy Spirit, and they are what a renewed mind meditates on. But in his last sentence, he also has the word awaken. Before the mind can be renewed, it must be awakened by the Holy Spirit. There must be the gift of regeneration to behold and trust in Christ in his all-surpassing beauty and loveliness and glory and mercy and grace. After he preached that sermon, within two weeks, he went into the sweet and lovely and glorious presence of God He died December 14, 2017, the 500th year of the Protestant Reformation. Why do we bring this up today? Because this passage is really tied in with Hebrews 2. This passage is about how we hear the Word of God, that there is a profitable hearing and there is an unprofitable hearing. To those who have ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches first. The parable is given. Here we are in Matthew 13. Children, do you remember what led to this? The Pharisees are telling Jesus that Jesus is demonic. That when Jesus heals people, he's doing it by the power of Satan. There's controversy. At the same time, the crowds are gathering. They're swelling to the point that at this point in Matthew 13, Jesus is not in a synagogue. He's not on a street He's preaching from a pulpit on the water, a boat. That's where he is, and the immense crowd is on the beach. It's a vivid, dramatic scene. As the crowd is gathered, Jesus gives them a parable. There are many parables from this point on in Matthew. That's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. A story comes alongside a spiritual truth to help us understand it, to make it vivid. And in this context, this would be something they would see all the time. A guy is out with a package around his 
spot in his waist, and he's got seed in that package, and he's tossing the seed out on to the ground. It comes here, it goes there, it lands in many different places. Jesus gives that parable, and then he calls out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And the disciples say, what is this all about? And then Jesus speaks not just to the multitudes in verse 10, but to the disciples themselves. And he gives one of these verses that leads us to really scratch our heads. And maybe you're here and you're not a Christian today and you wonder, what does this mean? And we are glad you're here and we'd love to talk to you more about the gospel that is being preached today and what that means for your life. He says, to you disciples, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to them, meaning the multitudes, and among them the Pharisees, of course, it has not been given. A parable is a two-edged sword. Eric Alexander says, it reveals truth to those who have spiritual sight, but it conceals it from those who don't, from those who harden their hearts. Think of Pharaoh. Do you remember that example in the Old Testament, children? Again and again, God's word comes to him. Moses says, let my people go. And what happens? Pharaoh hardens his heart. And then God says, if that's what you want, that's what I'll give you. And God hardens his heart. It becomes calloused. Jesus is saying, a parable imparts blessing to my people and confirms judgment, the judgment of the original covenant of works that God made with Adam in the garden to those who don't believe. This is not just a story for them at that time. It draws us in. It challenges us. Where am I today? Do I have a personal relationship with God by faith in Christ? Jesus quotes Isaiah 6. That passage speaking of the holy, holy, holy God. Right after Isaiah gets that vision of the holy God, Jesus says these words. Words that remind us it's dangerous to come to church. Maybe you haven't heard that before. There's a lot of things that we can do that might be dangerous. Coming to church, we might not think, is among them. But if we harden our hearts to God's word, it is deadly. Even as there's nothing more full of joy and blessing for us than to worship the triune God with God's people as the word and spirit are going forth in power. The crowds are gone. The disciples are there. The question now, secondly, is what does this parable mean for my life? The sowing of the seed is literally the word of God that's going forth. That's what Jesus is saying. Who's the sower? Well, it's Christ in this context. That's important for us to remember because as Jesus teaches and preaches, these are the responses that he receives. What else does this mean for us? Well, as you share the gospel with someone, as the gospel is preached, the word is being sown. So there's an application to us as well. Every time the gospel goes forth, Paul himself says, well, yeah, I'm going to send forth the gospel and the Holy Spirit, we pray, will bring forth fruit. Four kinds of soil. 
So that means four types of hearts. And in this, we probably see at times, I'm struggling with many of these at different points in my life. First, the heart that is hard and indifferent. In the day of Christ, there wouldn't be in Palestine magnificent fields of corn. Do you ever go to Iowa and just look at the corn? It's lush, it grows, it's bountiful, it's fruitful. Well, in this time, there would be a lot of hard paths, literally, people and horses walking all over it. So the path is so hard, if you send a seed on that path, what will happen? It's not going to grow at all. That's what Jesus says with the first application. The heart is impenetrable. The word is going forth, but it's not coming into this heart. Some people are indifferent or embittered or think that they're sophisticated and they don't really need this. It's just bouncing off like Krypton, no penetration. A warning here that people can hear the gospel. People can preach the word of God many times and not respond apart from the grace of God. Here's an example Sinclair Ferguson says. People can hear the gospel, but then afterward think, I just need to do better. Have you ever thought that or heard someone say that? Beloved, nothing we can do that is better can save us. Only Christ. God is holy, holy, holy. I am a sinner. That's my condition. I need a substitute. The gospel tells us Christ is that substitute. My sin imputed or reckoned to him. His righteousness imputed to me. I receive it by faith. The gospel is not don't worry, be happy. It's not Bobby McFerrin. The gospel is not a preacher yelling, you're worthless, you're a maggot, God thinks nothing of you, you're just vile. That's not at all who God is to you. The gospel says Christ is the propitiation for my sins. Christ came to destroy the works of the devil. Why? Because as Michael Reeves says, John 17, Father, Jesus says, you love me before the foundation of the world. Before he ever created, the Father was loving his Son. The Father sent his Son because the Father so loved the Son and wanted to share that love and fellowship. The love of the Father for the Son overflows now to you in Christ as God has made Christ known in the Word. God is not miserly. God is not stingy. God is not angry with those who are in Christ. God is not up there keeping a tally mark of, okay, you didn't do this, you better do this, you better try and do more of this. God is a fountain of overflowing goodness. He's beautiful, Sproul said, because that's what the text of the Bible teaches us. The beauty of Christ by the Spirit wins our hearts. It changes us. God is the object of our adoration. God is our treasure. God is our delight. He is tender and utterly enthralling. 
We abide in Christ. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. Without Christ, we can do nothing. The Holy Spirit turns our eyes away from ourselves to Christ. It is not our hold of Christ that saves us. It is Christ. It is not our joy in Christ that saves us. It is Christ. It is not how much we feel about Christ that saves us. It is Christ. It is not even our faith that saves us. Christ saves through faith. We receive him, his benefits, his blood, his righteousness. We rest in him. He has completed our salvation. For those who are in Christ, there is no condemnation. Those sins cannot come and condemn you anymore. We look to Christ, not to our prayers or our feelings or our doings. Why do I say that? Because the enemy of our souls, not only our internal sin, but Satan himself wants you to not believe that. Luke 8 says, the devil wants you to not be saved, to not hear the gospel, to not believe the gospel, to think after hearing the gospel, I got to do more. That's the work of Satan. Here's Ferguson again. 30 minutes after the service is over, you're walking out to your car. You and I, and the preacher especially, you had better look up and watch what's coming overhead. There will be birds dive-bombing you. And they will come and they will pick. What's Jesus saying in the parable? The birds are coming that... That seed that's on that hard path, they're going to eat it up and it's not going to take root. And who is doing that? The enemy of your souls, the evil one, Satan himself. He has a 3D approach, Satan does, one man says. He tries to disturb you before the sermon. He wants to distract you and me during the sermon. And he wants to dismantle the word of God from your heart when the sermon and the service of worship is over. He wants your mind to wander, your memory to just go all over the place. He wants us to be absolutely distracted. So what do we need to do? We need to pray before the sermon, pray right now during the sermon, and pray after the sermon. Every time we come to worship, a spiritual battle is going on. Issues of eternity are taking place every time the word is faithfully preached. There's no neutrality. Either people are further hardened or made regenerate or convicted of sin or comforted in Christ and sanctified. I preach, one man says, as never sure to preach again. As a dying man to dying men and women. We worship today as if Christ was crucified yesterday, rose from the dead today on the Lord's day, and is returning tomorrow. There's an urgency here. And the word of God never returns void, Isaiah 55. It goes forth. It gives seed to the sower and bread to the eater. It accomplishes God's purpose. 500 years ago was the Protestant Reformation. A return to the gospel, a return to the word of God as the only inerrant and infallible and authoritative word of God. Luther was asked, how did the Reformation happen? You know what he said? 
I got up in the morning, I preached the word, I prayed, I went to bed, and I slept. And God did the work by his word, through his spirit, through raising up, yes, those who faithfully preach the word of God. How do you and I hear the word? The second heart. If the first heart is hardened, Jesus says, another heart is shallow and superficial. So again, the day of Palestine, that part of the world even today, seed sometimes will come up early in the spring, but if it falls on shallow soil, what is there in the spring will be gone by summer. Jesus uses this to, again, illustrate a spiritual truth. Everything looks fine on the surface. This heart immediately receives the word, what? With joy. So what's wrong? Underneath, things are not well. It's a superficial joy. It might be an emotional experience. It might be an intellectualism, a curiosity in the Bible, a desire to study the Bible even but no root in Christ. This one endures for a while, Jesus says, or Luke 8. They believe for a while, not true belief. Some of you know that experience. Someone you love, that you had fellowship with at one point, that you maybe worshipped with, someone you still love dearly, at one point appeared to profess faith and know the Lord, but now they have no interest in the things of God. A pastor, maybe, an elder, a deacon. There is nothing that is more disintegrating than people who are merely brushed by Christianity, one man said. People who have been sown with a thousand seeds, but there's no depth. There's a lot of antagonism and hatred out there toward Christianity. As one person says, it comes from people who have become half-Christians. They were never truly converted. They maybe grew up in a church that didn't preach the gospel, maybe very legalistic, and they hate Christ. Or they grew up in a church that preached the gospel, but they didn't believe it. Some of us have children and loved ones that are not walking with the Lord. We pray, God, fulfill your promises that you've made to these dear ones. Bring them to trust in Christ. Help them to know the Lord, to know the love of Christ for them. Times of trial and temptation and testing come. That's what Jesus says. There's joy when everything seems to be going well on the outside. But what happens when the real pain sets in? This month's table talk, they're out there on the back. When trials come, we must decide whether we will depend on ourselves and our efforts or on God. Some of you are right in the middle of that, and you've been in it for maybe decades. Will we make light of the trial? Will we exploit it? Or will we try to run from it, Parson says? Or will we run to the Lord as our companion, as our Savior, as the one who is near? Will we get on our knees and trust him and cry out to him, God, be merciful to me? a sinner. As the adopted children of the Father, the trials that God sovereignly sends our way are meant not only to make us stronger in Christ, 
but to make us weaker in self. Less dependent on me and my strength and my schemes. More dependent upon the Lord. When I am weak, Paul says, then I am strong. Whatever doesn't kill us, the article says, by God's grace, this is counterintuitive, what happens? By God's grace, it makes us weaker in our self-dependence and more dependent on the strength of God through Christ, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. We take up our own cross daily, dependently upon the Lord. Luther saying about this, did we in our own strength confide? Our striving would be losing, he says. Here's another way someone put it. Have you ever heard the expression, God won't give you more than you can handle? It's not in the Bible. First, Second Corinthians 1 is, we were utterly burdened beyond our strength. We despaired of life itself. But that was to make us rely on who? Not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. The resurrection. The physical, bodily, historical resurrection of Christ. And we who are in Christ, who are seated right now in the heavenly places in Christ, and will be one day with him. Forever. Trust in that God who has the power over sin and death and hell and Satan. How do you hear the word? The third heart is preoccupied and distracted. Think of thorns or weeds that this time of the summer are maybe spreading everywhere. The seed starts to grow a little bit, but the thorns choke it out. Jesus says, Another spiritual reality. The thorns are what? Life's worries, pressures, riches, pleasures. They produce a divided heart. So I hear the word of God in a divided way. The center of my life is not Christ. These weeds are choking me spiritually. That's what Jesus is saying. As Jesus is sowing the seed, people are responding this way. The weed of trouble. I'm so worried about my health, my particular difficult trial and circumstance that I'm choked out and I think nothing of God or Christ or his spirit or his love for me. I'm choked. I'm turning in on myself. That's what Satan wants us to do. He wants us to turn inward in despair and hopelessness and worry. Worry number two, the weed of riches and pleasures the good things of life that God has blessed you with. But if they become ultimate and we worship them as idols, they choke us. It could be the things that we have that choke spiritual life out of us. It could be the things that we wish we had that choke spiritual life out of us. The rare jewel of contentment in Christ One person says, we buy things we don't need to impress people we don't like with money we don't have. (laughs) Hello, suburban America. This parable was written a couple thousand years ago. The third weed, immediate gratification. Esau, he sold his birthright for a bowl of stew. Demas, forsaking Paul for the love of the world. 
Again, things that are good in themselves that we can enjoy, rest and entertainment. But if that's the incessant buzz, they choke us. If we become so busy for self and lazy for God, we drift. That was the point of Hebrews 2. We just steadily drift away from the Lord. So Hebrews 2.1 says, listen up. It reminds us it's easy to hear, but not really hear. Meaning, to not really have an ear to hear. To hear, and it's kind of like there's a background buzz going on right now. That you've got one ear on this thing in your life that you're really concerned about. And it could be a really important thing, really valuable, really... And yet, you're, you're not really hearing. Neither, and I, same thing with the pastor. He's like Charlie Brown's teacher. Wah, 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 wah. This is the channel you're on right here, this year. What is this guy talking about? Christopher Ashe, listen up. He says, there's ways to not listen well. Maybe the sermon is dry and dull. Maybe it's heretical. Maybe there's bad teaching. So that's another category. Jesus will address those things elsewhere. Right now he's talking about listening. But do you remember Eutyches? Remember Acts 12? Was he tired? Was he up too late? Was he just working hard? Was Paul going on and on? We don't know, but he fell out of a window and he died. Acts 12. Paul brought him back to life. How do we hear? Do we hear with a presumption, with an apathy, with a cynicism, with a, I've heard this all before, I'm bored with it. Do we hear as tasting the sermon, just kind of nibbling here, nibbling there? Do we hear to be amused or entertained? That was Herod. That's Ezekiel 33, where it says they are listening to a love song. I want to come and listen to the drifters sing under the boardwalk. I want the sermon to be like that. I want it to be a, just amusement, lustful songs, beautiful voice. Playing well on an instrument, read Ezekiel 33, 32, that's right there. They love to hear it, but they don't put it into practice, Ezekiel says. How do we listen to sermons in a way that damages our spiritual health? One way is not to regularly listen at all. How about healthy sermon listening? Pray, pray, pray. Expect God to meet with us by his word and by his spirit. Trust in the promises of the gospel. Pray, God, I'm, I'm struggling right now. Give me grace to follow Christ as his disciple, to love him, to worship him, to obey him. Help me not to be discouraged. Produce fruit in me, fourth. What's the fourth heart? It's redeemed and fruitful. The seed on this soil doesn't bounce off the surface. It's not picked away by the birds. But by the Holy Spirit of God, you know the power of God's word in your heart. You come to be fed as a hungry fish, to feast on a meal that God has in his word for us. Your life has been changed by the Holy Spirit through the gospel. You want to read the word of God, or you're in a season where you're struggling, and you say, God, help me to hunger for your word again. The center of our life is Christ, the gospel of this church. Wherever Scripture takes us, we will go. 
Wherever Scripture doesn't take us, we will refuse to go, Alexander says. We are centered on the Word of God here. This heart is honest. This heart says, I want to grow in grace, but I'm struggling. This heart, by the Spirit of God, is patient, persevering through the trials of life, not because of my strength, but because of the strength and the grace of Jesus. The harvest is plentiful. Jesus says, it bears fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. The Holy Spirit regenerates, produces fruit in God's people so that we become teachable and eager and humble. Like Samuel, speak, O Lord, your servant is listening. But like Paul, we say through many tribulations we enter the kingdom of God. Life in the kingdom of God is patient. It's not instantaneous. It's like farming as we grow as disciples in Christ. There's planting and watering and nurturing and growing and harvesting. But in the end, the harvest is bountiful. And beloved, the fruit of the harvest in this life is a foretaste of what is to come. This is ultimately talking about the harvest of the resurrection. The first fruits of Christ, who like a seed was buried in the ground and brought forth a newness of life in his resurrection from the dead. He rose, he guaranteed the harvest of all his people. We will one day join Christ, the first fruits. We look forward to that day in faith. And we come now to the Lord's Supper in faith. That not only today do we receive the word, but we receive the visible word, the Lord's Supper, the visible gospel. Here we see that Christ is the source and substance of all that is good. Here, by faith and by the Spirit of God, we taste the presence, the love, the grace, the power, the forgiveness of our Savior. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Amen.